Start by let's start by reading the Ten Commandments, all ten, and then we will get into our point. First one, Jesus spoke all these words, saying, "I am Jesus, your Savior, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Have no other gods before me." And you should not make to yourself the idol, nor likeness of anything, whatever things are in the heavens above, or whatever are in the earth beneath, whatever are in the waters under the earth. You should not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I am Jesus the Theos, Almighty Alpha, 
am jealous. Repaying the sins of the dads upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Them that hate. Bestowing mercy on them that love. The thousands of them. And on them that keep my commandments. You shall not receive, take, the name of Jesus your fear in vain. For Jesus your fears will not acquit him that receives and takes his name in vain. Remember the seventh day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor on all of the word. But on the seventh day is the rest of Jesus your field. On it, you should do no work. You, nor your son, your daughter, your servant, your maid servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any cattle of yours, nor the stranger or Gentile that sojourns or stays with wells. For in six days, Jesus fashioned or remodeled the universe and the earth. And all things rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Jesus left the seventh day then we come to the fifth commandment honor your dad and your mom that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the good land peace you see us give six you should not commit adultery seven you should not steal Eight, you shall not murder. Nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And ten, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, not covet your neighbor's house, or his field, or his servant, or his maid, or his ox, or his donkey, cattle, or whatever belongs to your neighbor. So there we see the main ten commandments. He has other commandments as well, including you must take Passover communion and you must be baptized and other commandments. These are the main ten that he focuses upon, although he also puts importance on other commandments in other places in the Bible as well. We should not think that these are his only commandments. Not being so his only. Now that was difficult for me to read all of this without stopping and explaining. Because there are exceptions to some of these things. The 
there's not exception to every one of these Ten Commandments, but to most of these commandments, there are exceptions, and I will explain. Many times over the years, I have talked about these exceptions in passing, in brief, as we go through different sermons on many different topics, I have briefly talked about exceptions. But today, we will focus upon the exceptions as the topic of today's sermon. So today's title of the sermon is Exceptions to the Rule. Exceptions to the Rule. Exceptions to the rules. Now, the first commandment, of course, there is no exception. We have one God, not two, not three, not a million. We have one God. And we are to put him first above every person, everything, above any other goal, any other pursuit any other plan, any other worship, money, houses, careers, education, husband, wife, children, parents, hobbies, jobs, careers, education, children, friends. It doesn't matter. God must come first. And Every little area of our lives, every big part of our lives, and every little part of our lives. This is the first commandment. We have a God. He is our God. He is our master. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He created us. He loved us first. He brought us in, and he can take us out. God comes first. Above all other responsibilities. God comes before your children's homework, Tajina, and I will call your name out today because you have not listened to services for the last three weeks. Only because that I commanded your repentance. Because your children and your children's homework first, and you still have not repented. The Bible says that if you do not repent, that we are to call your name out. That we are to bring you to the attention of the entire church. So you can get angry, you can get mad, you can boycott the services, you can do whatever you want to do. But you do not touch God first, and you must repent. You did not put God first. This is the first commandment. There is no exception to it. This commandment above all commandments, I will enforce in this congregation. And if anyone don't like it, you know where the door is. Don't let the door hit you in the butt while you leave. This is the first key. That we love God more than 
parents or children. We put God first. That includes listening to worship services above anything else. I don't care if the husband is hungry. I don't care if the children have to do homework. Services come first on the seventh day. And if we have a chat room or if we have a gathering of any kind over the Internet or in person, it is the gathering of his elect that comes first. So that is the work of the kingdom, not children's homeworks. The schools are going to be gone very, very soon. And there is no hope for career or education. No hope for career or education for our children. The only hope for our children is salvation, the coming of the kingdom. You've got to pet God first in every little thing. And I will put my foot down on that. Very hard and complete. Out exception. In the second commandment is that you should not make any kind of image of anything. Nothing. No images. That is the second commandment. But yet, we do take pictures of one another when we go to the beach and so forth, and when we get married and so forth. And this is okay. But why is that okay? Why? Well, I have preached it here more than once, complete sermons on this message, of why there is an exception to this second commandment. There is an article on the website about why there is an exception to it. So we've talked about this to beforeness. But I will very briefly explain. Look at just five chapters from here, and it would tell you that there is an exception to this one. Put a bookmark here of the commandments. Case we might come back there and turn it over to chapter 25. I want you to see in the Bible, not just my opinion, not just my teaching, what the Bible says on these matters. It is not just Pastor Tim saying there are exceptions. He just read a verse that says, we should not make any image of anything. In heaven, in earth, in the sea, anywhere. We are not to make images. That's what it said. But then, just five chapters later, in chapter 25, verse 18, Exodus 25, verse 18, Jesus, through Moses, Tells the people, maybe this is Jesus telling Moses, you should make two cherubs, graven in gold, or carved in gold, or built in gold. And you should put them on both sides of the seat of reconciliation. 
what people call the mercy seat, but it's more accurately translated as the seat of reconciliation. I don't know of any other Bible translation. I don't know. There may be, but I don't know of any other Bible translation that translates this correctly. Not just mercy, it is reconciliation, that he is reconciling ourselves, us, to him. So here, Jesus commands the building of images, of angels, or chariots, whatever chariots are. Maybe it's a subspecies of angel, or maybe it's a different species altogether of his creation. I'm going to talk about that someday, maybe. But this was an exception, very clear-cut exception. God commanded Moses to make images. Now, of course, as I've talked many times, we must follow the spirit of the law. Not the A, B, C, D, E, F letter of the law. And I will even give you a verse for that right Talking about the difference between the spirit and the letter of the law. That's in the Bible. That's not my opinion. There is Bible verses for that. And because the Bible does tell us that there is a difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, we need to keep the spirit of the law. And that means the purpose, the spiritual principle behind each rule, each commandment. And the spiritual principle of the second commandment is that we are not to worship anything other than God. It is almost a repeat of the first commandment because the first commandment is so important and has no exceptions that God expanded upon that to make a second commandment, or at least we as humans consider it as a second commandment, but it's in the same spirit as the first. Or not to have any other gods, and there is no exception to that one. Therefore, we should not be having images of anything that we are going to worship or idolize because that would break the first commandment. It really is a repeat of the first commandment, a, a explanation or a, a, a detailed uh, instruction of the first. But we do consider it a second commandment. The Bible does say that we have the ten, it actually says ten commandments, so even the Bible numbers it as a second commandment. But the spirit is the same as the first. And that's how important the first commandment is, is that it took two commandments. to explain 
the first. Now, mankind is very very likely to worship things. Mankind has an addictive personality when it comes to worship. We are made to worship. The Bible says we are made for the glory of God. Our purpose is worship. We are created as worshipers. It is part of who we are, is that we must worship a God. We need a God. So mankind is very uh, drawn to worship. And because of that, and because men are carnal and not spiritual thinking, by nature, people tend to idolize things that they can see with their carnal eyes. Statues, money, cars, friends, children, husbands, wives, houses, careers, so forth. People tend to worship movie stars and music bands, music singers sports stars, as heroes. And we idolize those people and those things. And when you idolize something, that is worship. Idolizing a person is a form of worship, whether you want to admit it or not admit it, whether you understand that, comprehend it or not. Idolizing something or someone is worship. It's different from honor. You can honor a person, you can respect a person, but it's a very thin line going over to the form of idolization or worship. It's easy to do. We have to be really careful about that, really careful. We have to dig deep, truly examine ourselves, because it's easy to pass cross over that very thin red line, very easy. And because of that, because of people's pattern of false worship and their attitude of, of very easily going into false worship, he commanded that we don't have any image at all. And he did not say there was an exception because he really knew, you better not have images because you're very likely to worship. Yet, when we look at a medical book and see pictures of the human body explaining how the human body works in health and science medically so that we can understand our bodies and, and live healthy uh, when we 
at uh, information about our heart, our bones, our muscles, our eyes, our ears, these things, that is not worship. It is education. It is acceptable education. It is educating about health. There is nothing wrong with that. That is a necessity. That's a good thing. It's not worship. It's not idolization. When we take pictures of beach, how beautiful the ocean is, so forth, trees, flowers, one another, friends, family, vacation. We're not really idolizing or lifting up or worshiping those people. Most of the time we're not. Sometimes people do. But most of the time it's just a memory of good times of events, nothing more. So it does not break the first commandment. It does not worship anything or anyone. But if we do idolize a movie star and put a picture of them on the wall, then that becomes making that person an idol. And it is vanity and it is worship. So if we keep the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law, we're still obeying the first commandment and we are not keeping the letter of the law of the second, but we are keeping the spirit of the law of the second. And if we keep the spirit of the first law and the second law, commandments, if we keep the spirit of those two commandments, then we are keeping those commandments. We are keeping those commandments. Because it is the spirit that is the most important. It is the spirit the underlying principle that is important to God. If there was no exception to the second commandment, then God would not have instructed Moses to build statues of charity. God also instructed Moses to make the cards, images, and snakes put up on a pole and other images. We have other examples in the Bible of acceptable graven images. So there are exceptions to it as far as the letter. The exceptions to the letter, there's not really exception to the spirit of any other commandment. There is no exception to the spirit of the law on any of the commandments. There is only exceptions to the letter of the law. Now let's look at don't have to turn there, but we know that there is the commandment of the Sabbath. 
commandment of the seventh day, rest and worship. We know that with that particular one, many people keep the seventh day in a very legalistic letter of the law. Many people do. Hebrews, Jews, many people, legalistic cults, keep the seventh day very legalistic. Some people think that you can't even turn on a light switch. That's how legalistic some people are. Look at Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24. Verse 15. Matthew 24, 15. Twenty-four, verse fifteen. Therefore, Jesus says, "Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which is spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place." that the reader understands. We know he's talking about the strong delusion in the sky. You see this. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down. Get the things that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back in his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight or fleeing will not be in the winter nor on a Sabbath. For then will be a great time of trouble. Such has not occurred since the beginning of the world, so now nor ever will be. So Jesus has a concern about the seventh day, even in the end time. This proves that the keeping of the seventh day is still intact. It remains. So Jesus is concerned about the end time and telling us to pray that it would not happen, that we would not have to flee on the Sabbath. However, he did not tell us not flee on the Sabbath. The Rebbe says when you see this, flee. And don't even take time to get your stuff, just flee. He's talking to primarily 
deeply, he is talking to the people in Jerusalem because their situation of being a very tiny little nation and so many Muslims and many Arabs that their situation will be extremely dangerous, more dangerous than what we face in most of America and Australia, Africa, Korea, different places where people are listening to me. Most of you don't have a large Muslim population around you. There is 30 days of fleeing that the Bible talks about. In 30 days, yes, you can go back and get your coat. Yes, you can. But for people in Jerusalem, where the armies will be gathered around, ready to attack, and many, many Muslims within the city who will surely start killing people by the thousands on the very first day of a strong delusion problem. Yeah, in that situation, you gotta flee. Even if it is the seventh day. So there is, there is an exception to this to the letter of the law. Amen. Spirit of the law is we are to have a formal gathering together to worship, which is part of the commandment of the seventh day, not just resting, but we are commanded to gather together in worship on the seventh day. That is part of that commandment. Even though you don't see that part in Exodus 20, you see it in Leviticus 23. We got to read the whole Bible, not just Exodus 20, in order to understand how to keep the commandment. So the spirit of the law of the Sabbath is gathering together for worship and resting. And there is even there's more to it as well, but that is the basic too. However. God also gives us common sense. And common sense says that if your car breaks down, get it out of the road, even if, even if it is the seventh day. Jesus said we could get our ox out of the ditch. That's the same as getting your car out of the road. If it's on the seventh day, call a tow truck. Use common sense, use intelligence, use your mind, use your head. Be wise about things. And when it comes to safety and fleeing from people that want to kill you, common sense dictates flee. Yes, flee even if it is the seventh day. Now he told us to pray that it would not be on the seventh day for a Sabbath, for a high holy day. And so people should pray that. But he did not say don't flee. There are exceptions to that, but we still keep the spirit of the law. 
but we don't always keep the letter of the law. Now let's go, we'll come back to the New Testament, but let's go over to uh, the Book of Prophets, the volume of Prophets, Book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 1, the Book of Prophets. And in my volume, this page 156, so it might be a page or two different in your particular copy. Page 156, Hosea chapter 1, that's near the end of the book of Prophets. We're reading from a translation called the Alpha and Omega Bible, a restoration of the original scriptures taken from the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Greek Septuagint and many of the oldest manuscripts of the Bible. This is the restoration of the original scriptures, the Alpha Bible, the Alpha and Omega Bible. You can read about it online. Download it for free. Black and white paperbacks are cheap. Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. Let's start in verse 2. Verse 2. The beginning of the word of Jesus by Hosea, or Hosea, we say Hosea. But Hosea is not really correct of what his name was. That's a corruption, it's a myth about how to pronounce agent names. We have a lot of myths about language, about the letters. We have a lot of myths about the letter of the law and and about letters and pronunciations and spellings about agent language as well. So when I say O.C., I might also say Hoshi. Don't really matter that much. It's just pronunciation. Jesus said, the Hoshi, go and take to yourself a wife of fornication and children of fornication. For the man was surely go whoring and departing from Jesus. Jesus was originally written in the Old Testament, but it was taken out and replaced with the Assyrian aromatic letters of YHWH. Moses and the prophets never wrote YHWH. YHWH was inserted by the Freemasons the Muslims, same thing, the times of the Babylonian captivity. The Alpha and Omega Bible restored Jesus' name to the Old Testament as it had originally been. We only have one God. His name is Jesus. He has a million titles, but he has really just one name. His name is Jesus. 
God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. He changes tongues. And we read it in one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. And if we study the subject of adultery throughout scriptures, we know, we know, we understand that there's many ways you can commit adultery. You can commit adultery without even having sex. You can commit adultery in your mind, in your heart. Speaking about a married man, Jesus said, that if you look upon a woman, then you have committed adultery with her already in your heart. If you looked upon her in lust, basically, coming after her, and that's in the context of married people, context of a married woman. He did not say that single men cannot look at single women. He did not say that, but everybody's thinking. I've met a lot of men that think that they are sinning when they look at a woman. But if it was a sin to look at a woman, then we would not have any babies. We would not have a church. We would not have a kingdom because we wouldn't be allowed to have sex. We wouldn't be allowed to date or get married if it was a sin to look at a woman. Jesus was talking about married people. Context is clear. That if a man looked at a married woman was the context that he was speaking. So there's different ways you can commit adultery. A man looking at a married woman, a woman that is not available for him to look at, that he should not be looking at. And we also know in Scripture that we should not even marry somebody who is a adulteress or adulteress. So that is an act of adultery itself, is to marry someone who is unfaithful or unavailable. But yet, God told Hosea, Hosea, to marry this whore. Let's just say it the way it is. The Bible uses the word whore. It's not a curse word. It's not a nasty word. It's not a bad word. It's only a bad person. The Bible uses the word whoring and whore. Let's just say it the way it is. Let's be grown-ups. Let's not be afraid of words. Verse 3, So he went and took Gomer, that's the woman's name, daughter of and she conceived and bore him a son. So that sounds like that particular birth was Hosea's son. But as we continue, it will talk about other births that do not seem to be his son. Jesus said to him, call his name, that first boy's name, Jezreel, yeah, a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel on the house of Judah. And I will make to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall be in that day that I will break the vow to Israel, 
Jezreel, in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. But this, this time it does not say that it's his. And he said to him, call her name, O-U-L-E-E-O. I will have no mercy. I would no longer have mercy in the house of Israel, but will surely set myself in array again. Go down to verse 8. She weaned his daughter, and she conceived and bore a son. So forth. So at least two births or more here. And these additional births were through fornication. Far as what we know and what we, under, what we understand, by the wording and the context, it does not seem to be Hosea's children. But rather, she was cheating against him. Now he knew when he married her that she is not a faithful woman. That she was not going to be faithful. He knew that going into the relationship. But Jesus commanded it, even though normally that would be against the letter of the law. But God wanted him to marry this particular unfaithful, adulterous woman because her and her illegitimate children would be symbols and signs, prophetic signs, of Israel's unfaithfulness. There was a spiritual, prophetic reason. It was God's will for Hosea to marry this adulteress. Normally, that would be a sin. But it was not a sin for Hosea. He obeyed God. To see, there are exceptions. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Unless God tells you to. But really, he did not commit adultery at all in the letter. No, I mean in the spirit. He did not commit adultery at all in the spirit. We could say he did in the letter. But it's the spirit of the law that is more important. He did not break the spirit of the law. Now, if he had just been driven by his lust or lack of wisdom, If that had been the case, and married the same person with the same consequence, he would have broke God's law. He would have committed a sin. But he did not sin by marrying that woman. It was God's will. He did keep the spirit of the law, but not the letter. Now, there is another commandment. You honor your parents. Let's look in the book of Luke now, the New Testament, Luke 14. Luke chapter 14. And if anybody's listening that don't have your Bible open, <clears throat> now's the time to open it because you're about to hear something that will blow your mind. And I want you to know it's from the Bible and not from me. Please, please turn with me 
the pages of your Bible in Luke 14, verse 26. Luke 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and is not willing to, if and when necessary, forsake his own dad and mom and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. what Jesus said. And it's pretty mind-blowing. Because the Ten Commandments said you must honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long upon the earth, that you will live a long life. But here Jesus says you must be willing to forsake your parents, those same mom and dad. You must be willing to forget all about them, not take care of them, not visit them, not call them, not write them, but forsake them. Must be willing to forsake them. Now, the King James Version and many, 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 many other versions, almost every version of the Bible says, you must hate them. Well, now that don't make no sense at all. Okay? That's going overboard. Yes, there are exceptions to some of the commandments. But no, God would not tell you to hate your parents. So right there, if you read that verse of Luke 14, verse 26 in the King James Version, that verse all by itself is strong enough, solid, undeniable proof. The King James Version is not perfect. To see it with your own eyes. How can that be true? That Jesus would say that you must hate your parents and you must hate your mom, you must hate your dad, you must hate your wife, you must hate your children, you must hate your brothers, you must hate your sisters. That's the only way you're going to go to heaven. It's only if you hate everybody. How can the King James be right? It's not. That ain't right. That don't make no sense at all. That's going beyond exception. That is just total corruption of Scripture. And it is not agreeable to the spirit of the law. No, God does not command us to hate our parents and our family and everybody on earth. That's nonsense. So if we translate it correctly, as the Alpha and Omega Bible does, the correct translation is be willing to forsake. That's the only thing that makes sense. Be willing to forsake, if necessary, anyone, your parents, children, your husband, your wife, your brothers, your sisters, anyone. Now that's biblical. That's biblical. And that's putting God first, going right back to the first commandment. Really, all the commandments. Go back to the first commandment. 
Love God and love one another. Show love. God is love. All the commandments are details of one commandment, love. One commandment, love. Bible breaks it down in two. Love God and love your, uh, everybody else. But really, that's really one. Love. Love, love, love. Really just one. Love. Love God. Love man. Man. But we cannot say that if we, that we love people if we hate them. Not hate them. But we can forsake The Bible does teach over and over and over that we must be willing to forsake wicked people. And it don't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if they are our parents, our children, our husband, our wife. We are to forsake wicked, wickedness and people that work wickedness. We are to forsake them. That's clear. Not just in this verse, but many other verses throughout the Bible. Read it, study it. You really want to know. What the Bible really says, read it. Study it. Stop blindly following the traditional fairy tales taught to you by your traditional churches and traditional pastors that do not know the Bible. They don't even know that verse even exists in the Bible. All these people that believe in King James only, if they read their Bible, they wouldn't believe in King James if they just read their, the very Bible that they idolize, the very Bible that they worship, and they do worship the translation of a man called the King James, named not even after God, but after a wicked king. It's insanity. But if they would read the very Bible that they worship, It would prove them wrong. Amen. But there is an exception to honoring your parents. What if your dad had been Hitler? Would you honor him? I wouldn't. What if your mom had killed seven men? Would you honor her? I don't think so. I don't think any of you would honor a mother that killed seven men or, or a man that killed millions of people. What if, you, what if you had been the children of Hitler? Would you forsake him? Would you say to your dad straight to his face, you are a mad monster. You are of the devil. Let's use common sense. The spirit of the law does not violate common sense. Amen. But if we was to follow the letter of the law by honoring our parents, that would violate common sense and it would violate the spirit of love. 
if we were not to stand against our parents, if our parents had been mass murderers. I'm a living witness that there are exceptions to that rule about honoring your parents. I did try to honor my parents. Visit them, take care of them, provide for them, love them, honor them, respect them, do anything that I needed to do. But one day, when I realized that my dad was treating me like a dog, that I did not need to stand for it, that I needed to walk away. I got into my car, going down the road, listening to the radio, and God put his words in the mouth of a human somewheres that through the voice of the radio it said that you do not have to allow him to treat you like a dog. You do not have to allow family, parents, treat you like a dog. It is okay to walk away. It is okay to leave. God spoke to me out loud through the voice of another human on the radio. A lot of people have a lot of trouble believing that God can speak to me that way. And I do not understand their disbelief. Because if you read the Bible, God spoke constantly to people of many different generations, many different time periods throughout history. Why would that be any different today? We serve the same God who changes not. God is still alive. God is not dead. And God is not mute. He still speaks. I do not understand how, why it's so difficult for people to believe that God speaks. I don't understand. People think that we have to forgive everybody of everything, no matter what, no exception. And that is so dangerous, extremely dangerous. If you forgive everybody of everything, without exception, like people think they do, but that is dangerous to your spiritual soul, to your joy, to your peace, to your happiness, to your family your sanity. If you allow parents, children, husbands, wives, friends, strangers to run over you, treat you worse than a dog, and you just forgive, forgive every time without exception, you're a fool. 
to say it the way it is. God does not forgive every person without exception, does he? Does he forgive the unrepentant? No. Never. Until they repent. If you truly sin against God and refuse to confess you did wrong, refuse to admit you did wrong, God is not going to forgive you. So why do people think that we are more holy than God? That we forgive when God does not? Doesn't make any sense. This very book of Luke says, if your brother offend you, rebuke him. And if he repents, if he repents, Forgive him 70 times seven. But everybody leaves out that word if he repents. Because instead of reading the Bible, you have only listened to the voices of men and women on the internet or a local church who do not know the Bible. There are exceptions to forgiving people. God does not forgive everybody. And we must be willing to forsake anyone and always put God first. Put God first before children, before parents, before homework, before job, career, money. Put God first every time. Every time. Put God first. There's a reason that was the first command. The people always have excuses. Always excuses. I have responsibility, they say. Your greatest responsibility is God. Your children is not your greatest responsibility. Your children's homework is not your greatest responsibility. And even your husband and your wife is not your greatest responsibility. Yes, the man is the head of the woman, but Christ is the head of the man. And all of us, God comes first. No exceptions. But there is an exception by honoring our parents. What if our parents are being headless? Come on now. Bible says, thou shalt not murder. Look at Revelation 11. Revelation chapter 11. Now, there is a difference in murder and killing. There is a difference. You kill a poisonous spider, 
that is crawling up your leg, is that murder? Some people, believe it or not, would say so. I have met several people, several, not just one fool, but several fools that believe it is murder to kill a poisonous fire crawling up your leg. Okay, now. Will God find common sense? I don't think. It is not murder when it is self-defense. It is not murder when it is righteous war. And it is not murder when the two witnesses, the two prophets of God, who are about to stand up in Jerusalem very soon, when they kill people, read your Bible. You've never read this before, have any of you? Revelation 11, verse 3, in gifting my two witnesses, and they were prophesying for 200, I mean 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees, symbolically speaking, and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. The two witnesses, men of God, prophets of God, will heal people in self-defense. If somebody tries to harm them, those people are going to die. People don't like that. They don't like, it don't make sense that people do not like that God does give us the right to self-defense. They're like, no, no. They would rather allow somebody to come in and rape and torture your children, rape and torture your wife, rape and torture you and everybody in your house and not lift a finger because Jesus said, turn the other cheek. What about the other 10 million Bible verses in the Bible? They want to point toward one verse. What about the rest of the Bible? What about Revelation 11? Now, of course, two witnesses will not murder anybody. If the killing is agreeable to the Spirit of God, if it is done in righteousness, it is not breaking the spirit of that same commandment that that's not murder. 
It is not sinning. It is not breaking the spirit of that commandment. There is a difference. Go to Romans 13. Romans chapter 13. Even though, even though I'm reading these verses straight out of the Bible, people still, no, you cannot do that. No, 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 no. They want to stay so stuck, so stuck in whatever they have been programmed to believe. Framework. It don't matter what the Bible says except for only the verses they want to believe in. They don't want to believe all the verses. Romans 13. Verse 1. You have a large footnote there at the top of the chapter, so you have to find where verse 1 begins. Does every person objection to the governing authority. For there is no authority except from Peter. Those which exist are established by Peter. Therefore, whoever resists authority as opposed to the law, you're breaking the commandment. You're opposing the law of God. Wherever you disobey human authority, whether it's in the church, or whether we are talking about president, vice president, judges, police, governors, mayors. These are all governing authorities. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. All that this morning. The rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior. If you behave right, if you behave, you obey man's law and God's spiritual laws, then there be no cause for fear. But for evil, yes. For evil, there is cause for fear. But people do not fear God. They don't fear his prophets. But according to what we just read in Revelation 11, they should fear his prophets. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Then do what is good. And then you have praise from the saints. Amen. For it is a minister of theos for you for good, a service 
of God, man's government comes from God. God established the first king of Israel and the next king and the next God established King Nebuchadnezzar and the kings of Persia and Greece and Rome, even Rome, God established all the kingdoms. Read Daniel. God established and God put of them. Even the wicked king. Even even the wicked king. Even Territorian pastors, if they be God's, and even if they be not God's pastors, even if they be not God's chosen elect, God has established even the devil, even the Antichrist. All things work for the good. There is a plan. Even darkness, even wickedness, they play into God's hand. For it is a minister of theos to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of theos, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscious sake. So long, so on, talks about ta taxes, so long, then goes down here about adultery and some other stuff. You can read this entire chapter of your opinion. But you get the point that this chapter says to obey man, man's authorities, man's government. There are exceptions to obey him man's government. I won't turn there, but think about Daniel, how the three Hebrew young men, traditionally called children, but not children at all, young men, refused to obey the law to bow down to the golden image. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. God respected them not obeying man's law of that particular, very specific law of man that said you must worship an image, breaking the second commandment, breaking the first commandment. Amen. So there are exceptions. Even Daniel himself also broke man's law when he, when he continued to pray three times a day, even after it was established that no one could pray to anyone but Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel disobeyed. So we have at least two examples of disobedience in the book of Daniel. But normally we are to obey man's laws and man's government, even, the Bible says, even when they are wicked. 
But, but, if that wicked king commands you to break God's commandments, no, we are not to obey the wicked king. We are not to honor the wicked king if and when he interferes with us putting God first. Amen. We must obey God first and not man. And the Bible even says that, that we must obey God and not man. So there is that verse as well. But yet this verse says we must obey old man. We must obey man. Those two verses do not contradict, even though they seem to contradict. So when you look at the spirit and not the letter, they both have the same spirit and they agree. Not contradict. The verse that says, do not obey man, and the verse that says, obey man, both agree in the spirit. Spirit is, love God first. Then love men, but put God first in everything and obey God's laws first. And there is no exception to the first commandment. Amen. So there is an exception of obeying man's laws. Now let's go to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll read this entire chapter of 2 Corinthians 3. This is the chapter that the Hebrew roots legalistic people need to read. 2 Corinthians 3. Remember this verse, write it down. People that are so obsessed with the letter of the law. This is the perfect chapter to share with them. Corinthians 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to command ourselves again, or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all humans, being manifested to you manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living field, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward us. Not that we are adequate in ourselves, to consider anything as coming from ourselves. For our adequacy is from fear. Who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. 
not of the ladder, but of the Spirit. For the ladder kills, but the Spirit gives life. Amen. The keeping of the ladder of the law kills. If you were to try to keep all of God's commandments by the ladder of the law, rather than the Spirit, he would die. Rather than entering the fullness of the kingdom, rather than living eternal life with Christ, you would die in the lake of fire for keeping God's law by the letter. Because God's laws by the letter is legalistic, and legalism is death. Legalism is death. Legalism is not God's will. It is not God's will. It is contrary to God's will. For example, mankind has a law that you stop at a red traffic light. When it is on red, you stop. The purpose of that law is to prevent death, to prevent car wrecks. But what if you were sitting at that red light? You look in the rear view mirror of your car and see a large truck behind you that is coming at full speed towards you. And you can tell they are not going to stop. They are not going to stop. You look, and there's no traffic. You could easily go through that red light and save your life by going through that red light. What would you do? Would you say that the law says you cannot run that light? Or would you run that light and save your life? Common sense, self-defense, wisdom, Intelligent, run the light. Get out of the way. Well, what if the situation was that there was ambulance or police or a fire truck behind you, and there was no way they could get around you unless you got out of the way? Only if you turned right on red without a sign saying that you could do that. What if the law says you cannot turn right on red at that particular intersection, but the police behind you or the fire truck behind you, what if they get on their speaker system and tell you to get out of the way and tell you to turn right on the light and you sit there like an idiot saying no. The law says I cannot turn here on this. What would you do? There are exceptions even to man's law. Even to man's laws, even man 
has enough sense to know that there are exceptions. Even a judge makes exceptions. Even the police makes exceptions. Spirit of that law was to prevent that. But by your stubbornness of not getting out of the way, someone's going to die. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Verse 7. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stone, like in concrete that cannot be erased or changed, came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, because he saw God and his face shine. Fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? For if the spirit of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what has glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. The spirit of the law is greater than the letter of the law. It is the spirit of the law that he must obey rather than the letter. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. Great boldness in our speech. Many people don't like the way I preach because I preach with too much boldness. They would rather have everything sweet, very weak, very watered down. That Paul preached with great boldness. He called out people's names several times. He even called out Peter's name. Peter was a leader of the church. But Paul called out even Peter as being a hypocrite and said that publicly. Wrote it down in scripture that Peter was a hypocrite. Paul was bold in his feet. Verse 13. And are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face, so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, circumcision, unclean meat, so forth, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. If you find Christ, there's no such thing as unclean pork unless it is halal, which there's no such thing as halal pork. But Christ removed circumcision 
unclean meat except for the halal. And he also removed the letter of the law. And now we are to keep all the commandments in the spirit of the law. That is why that entire chapter of, what is it, Matthew 5 or 6, let me just double check, where he said he did not come to destroy the law. Matthew 5. That's what the entire chapter of Matthew 5 is about. Is that we are to keep the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. So we're not, te- we're not teaching just what Paul said, but what Jesus taught in Matthew 5, the entire chapter. Jesus is talking about keeping the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. So it's not just Paul. Verse 15 here to Corinthians 3, verse 15. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. It doesn't say all law is taken away, but rather it's talking about the letter of the law. Go back to verse 6. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Well, that's completely different than saying all law is done away. But yet, there's a lot of people that read the same chapter that we just read and say all law is done away. Well, that's not what it says. The Spirit gives life. The Spirit of what? The Spirit of the law. The Spirit of the law is not done away, is it? Of course not. That would be crazy. Spirit of the law is not done away. It gives life. If you say the spirit of the law is done away, then then life is done away. The spirit of the law is life. Spirit of the law is life. That is so true. Verse 17. Now, the Lord is the spirit. And where is Spirit of the Lord, there is liberty. Where there is the Spirit of the Lord, there is liberty. Not liberty to sin, not liberty to transgress the law, but rather liberty to live life knowing you can get out of the way when death is staring at you in the face. If you get out of the way, there is liberty. And not die by the letter of the law. That we all, with the unveiled face, the holding as in a mirror, glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as is from the Lord the Spirit. We need to be spiritual thinking, not cardinally. Not physically, but we need to be spiritually. I won't turn to the scriptures, but 
you know that the Bible talks about that we must pay tithes. We know that in Malachi, we know that in other scriptures, that we must pay tithes. So what is the spirit of the law about tithes? The spirit of the law about tithes is to take care of the orphans and the widows, the work of the ministry, the work of the gospel, the work of the minister himself, take care of the ministers, take care of the the pastors, church, the work of the church, pay the electric bill, the electric bill, so forth, of the church, and to help the poor. And that is why, at times, I have told certain people not pay any tithes because if their particular situation is, if they tie their tithes to me, that they would not be able to pay their rent or their electric bill, and therefore I would need to send that same money right back to them, because that's the purpose of tithes is to help people, not to make that person suffer. Therefore, I would have to send it right back to them, so just keep it to save the transaction fee. Amen. So again, there are exceptions. Now, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where any person has their weight, their tithes weighted. People may say, where in the Bible does it say you have that tithe? Where in the Bible does it say you have that authority to weigh somebody's tithes? Or where in the Bible is there any such example of anybody having their tithes weighted? answer is what I just said. The purpose of the time, the spirit of the law, is to help the poor, as well as the work of the ministry. And if that person pay their tithes to me and ends up poor, I would have to send it right back. They have to pay most of the time according to where they live and how they have to spend it. They have to pay a transaction fee, and I have to pay a transaction fee to send it back. Isn't it more logical? And isn't it more agreeable to the spirit of the law to help that poor person if they don't even send it to me in the first place? Because otherwise, we're wasting time, energy, and we're wasting God's money by exchanging with all the transaction fees according to where they live and how it must be sent common sense. So by the spirit of the law, yes, I have that right to help that poor, poor person in that way of them keeping their time. And when we're dealing with authority, all power in heaven and earth has been given me as a pastor, as an administrator, as an apostle, as a prophet, because Jesus said it was given to him, which always had been with him. And therefore, he has sat down at the right side of the Father, and now it's our turn to be the hands and feet and mouth of Christ, to be the body of Christ, to be the church, to work, to pronounce, to curse, to bless, 
to do all the work of the kingdom without exception, except for the salvation of sins, which I cannot do. Only God can save you of your sins, but I can remit it to him. I can remit your sins to him. Anything, anything I bind on earth should be bound in heaven. Anything I loose on earth should be loosed in heaven. But yes, I can remit or retain. The Bible teaches this very, very clearly. That I can remit or retain your sins to God. If you don't believe it, then you don't believe the Bible. The Bible teaches that very clearly and very strongly. The Bible teaches that. There's an article on the website, search. There's a search box on the bottom of every page on the website. I don't know why people have such trouble finding things on the website. They complain about not being able to find the contact page. And I think it's extremely easy to find the contact button. The menu is this simple. Light versus darkness. Prophecy. Commandments. Truth. And other pages, more pages. Well, would the contact be under prophecy? I don't think so. Would contact be under commandments? I don't think so. Maybe it's under more pages. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. And then there's a search box. What's wrong with searching? Contact button. Contact. So anyway. You can search for retain and remit sin. Find the article on that one. So there were exceptions to paying tithes. However, when it comes to any of these commandments, including tithes, keeping the seventh day, all the commandments, adultery, so forth, everything we've talked about and more. You've got to be careful to not use liberty as an excuse to sin. And that's what a lot of people are doing. They use grace. They use mercy. They use new covenant. They use the blood of Christ. They use the spirit of the law. They use all these things and more as excuses to not even obey even the spirit of the law. They say, well, I don't have to pay any tithes, even though it won't hurt me, even though it won't hurt them to sin a tiny little 10%. Out of $200, that's only 20 bucks. Out of $400, it's only 40 bucks. Out of $1,000, it's only 100 bucks. 10% is nothing but a drop in the bucket that people act like it's a million dollars. The people are just searching for excuses. Excuses, excuses, excuses. And you must be very, very careful because these carnal excuses, such as not trusting God to provide for you, not believing that he would keep his promises provide for you if you pay your tithes, not wanting to listen to the services, not listening to the services just because that my speech is too bold or because I call you out on your sins. 
don't want to confess your sins, you don't want to admit your sins, you're rebellious, you're proudful. These are not these are not acceptable excuses. These are not acceptable excuses for breaking the spirit of the law. Like I said, there are exceptions to the letter, but there are not exceptions to the spirit. We must keep the spirit of God's law. So please be careful. I hope and I pray, I have been praying, that none of you would take today's sermon and use it as an excuse to increase in you breaking God's law. That is not, that will not, please, that will not be the result of this sermon. Please do not use this sermon and twist it to excuse your increase in breaking God's spiritual law. But rather, the goal and purpose and result of God's word today will be to help you realize that there are sometimes, not every time, Sometimes exceptions to the letter of the law. Your children's homework is not an exception to listening to the services or to listen or to gather together when we have a chat room or whatever. If we have a gathering of the saints or saints to be, you should not miss that because that is designated God time. We don't have the chat room no more because of people transgressing the spirit of God's law. Because people were not putting God first, I canceled the chat room altogether. And the whole congregation had suffered because of that one person's sin. What you do affect other people. You can say responsibility all day and all night, but the truth is the fruit, fruits, fruit of it is that the whole congregation has suffered. Amen. We also know that the scriptures command women to obey their husbands in all things, it says, in all things. But we know that there is an exception. What if your husband tells you to bow down to an enemy? Of course, the wife would disobey. What if your husband tells you you cannot listen to service? Go out in your car and listen. Or go walking down the street with headphones on and listen. Whatever it takes. But the scriptures command that we gather together. To worship God together at the same time. Unless you're in a completely different time zone in the middle of 3 o'clock in the morning, something like that. Even then, some people are faithful to God, which is a wonderful testimony and a wonderful faithfulness to God. 
turn and go homeward. These schools are all going to be gone very soon. No colleges, no, no future, no career for carnal pursuits, for our children's education. The teachers get mad, oh well. The husbands get mad, oh well. If the principal gets mad, oh well. God comes first. Not second, not third, not last, but first. All things. And for some people, I believe I've been too leading the tides. And my goal is to not be as lenient on tides because my experience is that I have been too leading fighting. And this ministry worldwide has suffered because of it. They have. And this ministry is the work of God. And it is urgently important to get this message out to more people and as many as fast and as quickly and as powerfully and as effectively as possible. Urgently important. And if some people have to uh, not be able to buy candy bars anymore, then so be it. Or if some people can't afford to eat out and eat pizza anymore, then so be it. Some people have to give and take more than what they have to. That's all the sermon, but I do want to talk about the update on the Alpha and Omega Bible. As you know, or as most of you know, we did release brand new, new, improved, updated Alpha and Omega Bible just the other day. And I praise God that the majority of that work was done, finished, and accomplished. And I praise Jesus. That has published the new PDF, the new e-sword, the new paperback, everything. Updated. And this is a major, major, major update. So please, please, I do encourage everyone to get new updated paperbacks because this is not a minor update. This is a huge, major update. Lots of words. Updated, edited, approved by me looking very carefully at agent writing through the aromatic degree to get the most accurate template. After several years, started this work in 2015. To say maybe half of 2015 on one, all 16, 17, 18, and a couple months of 19. So basically, almost four years. Even though it started, the Old Testament has been a copy of Sir Lancelot Brimpton, his translation from the 1800s of the Old Testament. 
intuitive, even though it started with that basis. Even though much of his writings still exist in it, after four years of editing and improving, it is truly can no longer be said that it is a direct copy of Brent. But rather, this is where I have corrected his mistakes fixed his mistakes, looked at the Dead Sea Scrolls, looked at Codex Vaticanus, Pentecostus, Alexandrus, other manuscripts, other scrolls, other codexes, and not even just what is the best version King James compared to the New American Standard, compared to NIV, compared to Grantham, compared to other translations, compared to other translations. Not that, but rather, what does the original word say? What does the original, what does the oldest manuscript say? Many, many, many cases. Yes, a lot of Grantham translations still exist in them. But there is a law that is not written nor anyone else's, not New American Standard, not King James, not NIV, not written, but many words and many verses that are result of true translation by this ministry, this work. I do hope, pray, 
for some time to rest. Hey, I'm exhausted. I'm worn out. And I'm not going to stop working. But I do hope, pray for some more time just for myself rest. But I need that very badly. I that God understands that. He is so merciful. Grace for love and understanding. Maybe, hopefully, coming out soon with audio of the entire OB, our Bible, audio, that download, telephone, computer, and save on MP3 players and listen to, that works totally independent of any other uh, text-to-speech app or anything like that. You won't need to download a text-to-speech app or anything. You can just download the sound file, MP3s, directly. I'm not promising that. Brother Robert has worked a lot on that for us. But as far as me finishing my part of it, I don't know the way I feel right now. I don't know if I can move another muscle, but I will try. I want to thank everybody for your patience. Thank you for your prayers. Please remember my wife as she goes into surgery on Tuesday, right? For total knee replacement. Curry had one total knee replacement before. Those what life you know, already on through that. Knows what to expect with this one. But we still appreciate your prayers for her surgery and recovery. Pray for one another. We do have possibility, a huge, very strong possibility of a strong delusion. On the 21st, three weeks away, I am shocked. At the complacency of so many people acting like nothing is going to happen. Maybe it won't. Maybe it will. Maybe it will. If it does not occur in the first of this month, 
And we have another whole year. I do not understand how anybody could believe that we would have another whole year, but Bible is true. Bible is very clear that the strong delusion will occur on the date of parent of whatever year. That is extremely clear in Scripture, and that is not my opinion, and I cannot be wrong on this Scripture. Strong delusion will happen on turn of whatever you thereby bringing the rest of the timeline in agreement of the seventh trumpet catching up with the saints into heaven on the day of atonement of whatever year, the blowing of the first trumpet, opening of the seventh seal on the fiesta of trumpet, whatever year. These things are totally scriptural, not my opinion, and it is not wrong. Thanks to my wife, in Jesus' name. Thanks to me, in Jesus' name, as I finish this last point. Could we have another year? Maybe. But I wouldn't count on it. Even Putin said recently, can't you count? And he kept repeating it over and over and over. Count. And that's exactly what I've said here so many times. When we see strong delusion, we will have exactly 1,335 days to the return of Christ. That is in the Bible. That is not my opinion. Read the Bible. Did you count? Saw the dragon in the sky. A week or two ago, recently, all the dragon in the sky, huge, green dragon, the color of Islam, the color of the four horses. How can we deny these huge, gigantic, powerful, divine signs to heaven? Even the very words, dog and mega. How can we deny these things? And how can we think we might have another year? Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. I believe all the signs are pointing towards self-fulfillment this year. More wise. More prudent and more spiritually think to be ready this year. Make preparations now, as if we had no doubt. As if we were not doubters and mockers of God concerning his heads up, warning, blessing, provision, mercy, grace, and love to 
that he has shown us by giving us the warning in advance. God is so good. We have not heard end times or prophetic timeline of five holy days, not one, not two, not three, not four, but five holy days. End time prophetic timeline. How between each and every one of those holy days is the perfect number of days that the Bible says would be transient. This is not a timeline that I made up. This is not a timeline that I created or that any member of this ministry created. The only that God has given, God has revealed, that his servants wrote down. And we are nothing more than messengers, workers, and servants of him and his kingdom. Please, your new listeners, please check out this timeline at I Saw the Light Ministry.com. I Saw the Light Ministry.com. That particular article I Saw the Light Ministries.com slash eight. Or you can use the search box. There's a search box at the bottom of every page on the website. Search for five holy days and ten times timeline dates. We're here every Saturday for live worship services. We're doing right to come back again next week. You're willing to hear the truth and willing to change, willing to grow in truth, not be stubborn and stand in your religious beliefs that you've been programmed with. If you don't want to stay programmed and brainwashed, if you don't want to stay stuck, traditional doctrines handed down to you by man, if you want to grow in the spirit of God, grow in the spiritual, grow in understanding of the truth, Throw in the truth, then this is the place for you to come. We're here every Saturday at 2 o'clock Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Saturday, for these worship services. And it will take me probably, hopefully, God willing, only a few minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, maybe, to upload the audio into what they call the show reel. Show reel. Another way of saying our child, they're on the Mixler radio station. And the audio will be our child on the radio station. Show real. Please follow the radio station on the Mixler.com website. And on TalkShoe. Also follow us on TalkShoe. Maybe an hour or two to upload a video, sign language, 
that want to watch or need to watch the sign language video. However, to let get it published, you can check it out at iSolidLightMinistries.com. You can search for it in the search bar. Search for the sign language videos. I hope that you will rest of your seventh day be practical and enjoyable. Thank you for listening. Hope to see everybody again next week. Have a good week.